Man, thank you so much, team. That was beautiful. Thanks for leading us. Well, welcome to everybody here in the room. Welcome to everybody online and outside. Do we have some, some foot? Hey, hey, man, that's a big group out there. Great to see you guys. Thanks for being with us. Um, yeah, so we, if you don't know, we have officially, officially launched our outdoor venue. It's going to be at 11 a.m. every Sunday during this service. Um, there's a live band out there, but then the message will be streamed to the outside. So it's pretty awesome, and we hope you can take advantage of that um, or the online service if, if that's what you need. So my name's Sutton Wirt. I'm the community care pastor here, and I'm excited to, to open the Word of God with you today. Um, if you weren't with us last week, we had a beautiful celebration of the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and Scott shared the, the unbelievable story of Jesus's life, all the way from um, his incredible conception, um, his humble birth, uh, up through his, his miracles that he performed, his teaching that was like no one had ever heard, um, all the way through to his violent death. Um, and then his unbelievable resurrection. And so Scott shared that that, that story, the story of Jesus' life, really is in so many ways unbelievable. It's hard to believe. But at the end of his message, he encouraged us to cry out like the man um, whose son was possessed by a demon. Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. And Scott said that the thing that moves us from unbelief to belief is having an encounter with Jesus, experiencing the real risen Lord and being having our eyes open to him by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to look at a story of two disciples who had that exact thing happen to them. They encountered Jesus and their eyes were opened. Um, this is found in Luke's gospel. On uh, It's in chapter 24 of Luke, the last chapter. If you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up. Uh, turn there, Luke chapter 24. We're going to be in verses 13 through 35. If you don't have a Bible, we've got some in the, the seats in front of you, um, and it'll be on page 1047 of those church Bibles. If you're outside, sorry, we don't have anything for you. Um, <laughs> so Luke begins his gospel um, by telling us that he's, he's writing it to give an orderly account of the things that God did through Jesus Christ. And he says that he's writing them so that we might have certainty so that we might have certainty of the things that we have been taught. And so if last week's message resonated with you, if you don't have certainty or you're feeling some doubt or you're struggling to, to believe and you're wanting to encounter Jesus, then I would invite you on this journey today. A journey with two disciples who've just experienced the crazy events of, of what we now celebrate as Easter weekend, who are walking down the road from Jerusalem to this little town called Emmaus. So if you'll pray with me, um, we'll, we'll dive into the story. So let's pray. Well, Lord Jesus, um, we have sung of your goodness and your greatness. Lord, there is no one like you. Who else would die for our redemption? Who else's resurrection means that, that I'll rise? Lord, you are a king like no other, and we want to see you today. We want to see who you are. We want to see your heart for us. And so, Lord, as we open the scripture together, I pray that, that you would open our eyes to see you more clearly. Holy Spirit, help us. Give us spiritual sight. Um, we pray that you would make Jesus all the more beautiful 
to us today. Lord, I thank you so much uh, for giving us this time, and we give it back to you. In your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Well, let's start here with the first two verses, and that'll kind of set the stage for us. Again, this is Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13. Luke writes, That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened. So, it says, That very day... Um, that is the day that Jesus rose from the dead. So this is, this is still Resurrection Sunday, that very day. Um, and it says two of them, so the them is referring to the disciples, um, not the 11 disciples. There's not 12 anymore. Jewish, uh, Judas ended up killing himself. But the 11 disciples uh, were still back in Jerusalem. These two are, are not a part of the, the core 11, but they are disciples, people who have been following Jesus Um, Maybe for some months, maybe even for some years, they've seen what he's done. They think he's the one. Um, And so what they're doing today is going home, um, potentially, uh, down the road from Jerusalem, which is in the highlands of southern Israel, down the road to this little town called Emmaus. It says that it's seven miles away. That's about a two and a half hour walk at a decent decent little pace. Um, And so they are walking to Emmaus together. Verse 15, while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. So here these guys are coming off this roller coaster of a week. Um, The the weekend before, Jesus had entered Jerusalem on a donkey with palm branches waving, being hailed as the son of David, the Messiah. That means God's anointed one, God's chosen one, who they believed would deliver them from their oppressors, set them free from from their enemies and and the Romans who were occupying their land, um, and, and usher them into this period of peace and abundance and prosperity um, that the prophets had promised. And so they, these guys have hung their hopes on Jesus as the Messiah. But then as that week went by, um, things, things didn't go so well. Intentions that had been escalating for years came to a head when the religious leaders of the time and the secular government conspired together to put Jesus to death. And so this man that these disciples had been following had, been, had just been publicly crucified and put to shame and buried in a tomb. And it was over. All of their hopes and all that they thought was going to happen was over. And so when Jesus asks, what are you all talking about? They get emotional. They're walking along and he asks this question and they just kind of stand still. Sadness is on their faces. They had all of these hopes hung on this man all of these unmet expectations, fears, grief, even, I imagine they were feeling. And so their eyes are so clouded by all of their own stuff, all of this emotion and grief that they're feeling that they can't even see that Jesus himself is right there beside them. Verse 18. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, 
Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? And so Jesus said to them, what things? <laughs> now notice what just happened. The events of the weekend had caused such an uproar that this guy, Cleopas, cannot believe that anyone would have been in town that weekend and missed what had happened to Jesus of Nazareth. And so Jesus, the very one who these things happened to, feigns ignorance and says, what things? What are you talking about? <laughs> I love it. John Eldridge has a great book about Jesus' personality, um, and it's called Beautiful Outlaw. I highly recommend it. It's a, it's a great book. But in that book, he notes that Jesus here is, is almost being playful. I mean, think about it. He's fully God, but he's also fully man. And as a man, he has just risen from the dead. He has conquered sin and death and hell forever. I imagine this guy's feeling pretty good. You would be too. I mean, he's probably cheerful. He's probably singing. He's probably got a little spring in his step. I mean, he's probably downright giddy. And so he comes across these guys, but he can see that they are full of grief and sadness. And so Jesus, even in this, this day of joy, is sensitive to their needs, sensitive to where they're at. And so rather than just spring it on them, he casually but sincerely asks, what things? What are you guys talking about? Verse 19, and they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Listen to the longing here. But we had hoped. But we had hoped. It's already in the past for them. It's done. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels and who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. It's about sight. They can't see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Man, how I would have loved to be on the road with those disciples heading down to Emmaus that day. Jesus himself giving them a lesson from the scriptures, explaining all of the places that are pointing to him being the Messiah. That must have been awesome. But notice that after Jesus listens to their story, he doesn't just say, you guys are idiots. Look, it's me. He doesn't just dismiss them. Um, he does have some strong words for them, but he, he takes them on a journey. He goes through a process. He takes the time to explain to them who he is. 
Um, and it says that he does this from, the, um, from Moses. So that's the first five books of the Bible. Those are referred to as the books of Moses, the Pentateuch. Um, and then it says in all the prophets. And so that would be the historical books, which the Jews call the, the former prophets, and the, the prophet prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, those guys, uh, which they would call the latter prophets. So all the scriptures at that time, all of the Old Testament, Jesus takes it and he ties all the threads together. This is what the Messiah must do. This is what he's going to look like, suffering first and then glory, pain first and then exaltation. So he explains that to them. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is, is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. What? Did you all catch that? This is wild. Again, I think what we're seeing here is some of the playfulness of Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, pretends like he is just going on and, and going to leave them and go about his merry way. They're like, hey, come stay for dinner. And he's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, I got time. I, you know, I could do that if you want me to. All the while, he knows exactly what he's doing. He is about to reveal himself to them. Check it out. Verse 30, it says, When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And then he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn while he talked with us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he's appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So these guys invite Jesus in for a casual dinner, and all of a sudden he picks up the bread. And notice what he does. He does exactly what he did on that night he was betrayed just the week before. He blesses it. He breaks it, and he gives it to them. And it is in that act that they see him for who he truly is. It's in the act of breaking the bread that they see, oh, this is him. This is Jesus. This is the one that, that we were hearing about on the road. This is the one the scriptures are pointing to. This is the one who broke his body for us. This is the one who, who allowed his blood to be poured out for us. This is the king, the only kind of king who would die for his subjects. This is our risen, resurrected, and reigning Lord. This is Jesus. And then he disappears like that. I don't, I don't know what that's all about. I, I, you know, he had a resurrection body. Maybe we'll get to do that one day too. It's a wild story, and it's one of my favorites. Um, but there are three things here that I want to, to highlight. The first is this. Jesus is still with us, even when we cannot see him. Jesus is still with us, even when we cannot see him. I think it's significant that as these disciples walk and talk with Jesus, they are so caught up in what they have experienced, in their griefs, and their dashed hopes, and their unmet expectations, that they cannot see who he is. The one they are longing for 
is walking right beside them and they cannot see it. And it's often the same for us, isn't it? Maybe your hopes have been crushed. Maybe you've experienced a loss that you cannot get over. Maybe you are here today with a grief that you cannot shake. Maybe it was the loss of a job. Maybe uh, there was a college that you applied to that you did not get accepted to. Maybe there's a relationship that you're really hoping will happen and it just hasn't happened. Maybe there's a loved one um, who passed away. Maybe there are uh, relationships that have ended, a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend who's walked away. Maybe there are friendships that are broken in your life. Things that you wish that were that simply are not. And you're hurting. And you're hurting. Friend, let me tell you today that though it may seem like Jesus has abandoned you in that place, though it may seem like he is not present. He's there. He's with you. He is walking beside you, even though you cannot see it. He knows all of the things. All of the things that the disciples were talking about, they were about him. He knew, but still he asked, what things? I want to hear it from you. I want you to tell me. He knows everything that's going on in your life. He knows the sorrow and the pain and the brokenness that you are experiencing right now today. But still he asks, what things? What things? Tell me. Let me know. And then he invites us to walk with him and to listen to him as he explains the story as he reorients our lives around him. We think we're the center. That's a miserable existence. This story is about him. And as he slowly opens our eyes to see the beauty of his goodness, the way that he has, has this whole story is all about him, the, the way that your life was made to be about him, you're going to see things you've never seen before. He's there. Jesus is walking with you, even when you cannot see him. Number two, Jesus still reveals himself through the word and through the table. When I say the table, I'm referring to communion. So <clears throat> notice how, how Jesus reveals himself to them. Um, it's the same way that he does to us today. First, he uses the word of God. He interprets the scripture and he shows how it all points to himself. Um, we believe that, that scripture is this one big unified story that is all pointing to Jesus Christ. He's in every book, every chapter. It's about him. And so he shows them that. And then he uses communion. Um, he, he uses the breaking of the bread to, to physically demonstrate the beauty and the power of the gospel and to show them that this is who he is. This is the kind of king our God is, one that suffers and dies for his people. And y'all, Jesus is still doing this today. If you were wanting to believe, if you were looking for Jesus, then look no further than his word and his table. This is why we do these things every Sunday. We open the word to find Jesus there. And we open the table to find Jesus there. These things, preaching and communion, are not dead, lifeless 
rote things that we do every Sunday just because we've always done them. Not at all. We do them because they are these simple, ordinary things, yes, but they carry profound meaning. Simple and ordinary as they are, they continue to be the means that Jesus wants to to speak to us and reveal himself to us and show us his heart for us. These things don't have power in themselves. The, The Bible's just words printed on a page. That's ordinary grape juice and wine and bread. But through them, we experience God. Jesus reveals himself to us and we encounter him through these humble, ordinary means. That's who our God is. That's what he does. Jesus is still revealing himself through the word and through the table. And then finally, number three, Jesus is still pursuing his people. What's incredible when you step back and think about this story is that Jesus did not have to do any of this. The, um, when, when G, where Jesus started the day in Jerusalem and where those two disciples started the day is exactly where they finished the day, right back in Jerusalem. So the, uh, the geographical gains were zero. Um, they did not make it very far at all. It was completely unnecessary unless there was a greater purpose. Jesus did not have to leave Jerusalem. He didn't have to go after these disciples. He didn't have to take his time and explain to them the scriptures. He didn't have to do any of that. This is the day that he rose from the dead for crying out loud. Surely he has more important things to do, right? No, no, this is the mission. His people are the mission. That's why he came. Luke 19, uh, Jesus says, the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he's here. That's what he's doing. The most important thing he has to do on the day he rises from the dead is come for these two humble disciples who are lost in their grief, their hopes dashed. He comes and he meets them and he shows them himself that he is the one that they are longing for and he brings them back into fellowship with him. Isn't that beautiful? And Jesus is still doing the same thing today. He came for these two disciples and he came for you. And so wherever you find yourself today, whether you are struggling to believe all of this crazy Jesus stuff, whether your vision is clouded by the pain and and the grief and the unmet expectations you have of God in your life, whether you've been following him for years and are in a season of doubt, whether you are, are weary and needing his encouragement today, the Savior is there, ready to meet you, walking beside you, ready and willing to open your eyes if you will but listen to him. You might not be able to see him, but he's pursuing you. You might be struggling to understand, but he is ready to explain it to you. His heart is for you. Look for him. Expect him to show up, even in those places of brokenness, those places of suffering, those places where you do not expect him to be. He's there. He's there, and he wants to show you what he's doing in your life, the plan that he has for you, the goodness of his heart toward you. 
Church, our good shepherd is still pursuing his sheep. He is still saying, oh foolish ones, my foolish ones. Can't you see that it's me? Can't you see what I'm doing? Can't you see that I, and therefore you, have to enter glory through suffering? That this pain and this brokenness and these things that hurt so bad are part of what we must go through in order to enter glory. Oh, friend, don't lose heart. Don't lose faith. I'm here. I'm here. That's our Savior. That's his good heart for us. So notice what happens after. These two guys immediately get up. They haul it back all the way to Jerusalem, right where they just came from, two and a half hours, excitedly telling the 11 disciples what happened. And then we didn't read this, but the next couple of verses, the next uh, story there in Luke, um, is that as they're talking, as they're sharing with the other disciples, Jesus appears right in the midst of them. And he says, peace be to you. And they spend time together and he teaches them and they eat together. And Jesus didn't have to do any of that. He didn't have to go and get those other disciples, but he wanted them to be there when he revealed himself to the 11. He went and got them. He pursued them. And church, that is what he is doing for us today. This is the heart of our Savior, to come, to be with us in our pain to not dismiss us, but to ask what things, what's going on, to walk with us on a journey. And then in the midst of our mess, to bring in the hope of resurrection, the glorious, beautiful hope, everything that that day meant, he brings that into their life. And they are so overwhelmed with joy that they run all the way back to Jerusalem. Friends, that is the joy and the hope that Jesus wants to to speak into your sorrow and your doubts and your questions today. And so the invitation today is is simply to look to him. I just want to hold Jesus up and I want you to see him and see his goodness. Open the word, come to the table, find the one that your soul is longing for. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came for you and your mourning and your pain and your questions and your doubts and those places where you feel like you are a failure and those places where you feel like he has left you to die and to despair. He is there. He is with you, waiting for you to listen to him, waiting to show you the beauty of his story, the goodness of his heart for you, waiting to bring you that marvelous, glorious hope of the resurrection waiting to give you himself. Will you let him? Will you let him? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there is no king like you. What king would die for his people? What king would live in such humility Lord, truly, there is no one like you. Who else would die for our redemption? Who else would rise for for us so that we too might rise and live with you forever? 
Oh, Jesus, I know no greater story. I know no greater king. I know no greater heart. And Lord, it's crazy, but you have set your love on us. Thank you, Lord, for for meeting us wherever we are today. And Lord, I pray um, for for anyone here, whether they're uh, someone who still isn't sure about you and doesn't know if you are who you say you are, or whether there's someone who's been following you their whole life long. Lord, whatever situation people find themselves in today, I know that all of us have places of unbelief in our hearts, places where we're not trusting you, where we're not really convinced that the resurrection changes everything and that that hope is our hope too. Lord, life is hard and it beats us up and there's so many things that that threaten to tear down our faith. Lord, would you build our faith? Would you breathe life and hope into each of these hearts here and outside and online? Lord, all of us, we need you. We need you, Jesus. There is no other answer to the sin and suffering in our lives. The only answer is you and your resurrection. So Lord Jesus, speak to us now. Show us more of yourself and draw us into that glorious hope. Thank you for coming for us and for pursuing us even today. We trust you, Lord. We pray this in your name. Amen.